This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of Harvesting Nature. Hey everyone, uh, got back here with the Harvesting Nature crew. Uh, we're back from our recent travels up into southern Florida into the Everglades, and now we've got the addition of Corey on the line too. So real quick, just so you know who's talking today, uh, we'll go around and do some interviews. So as you guys know, name's Justin, uh, the editor-in-chief Harvesting Nature. Just uh, enjoying being on the podcast with everybody and getting to talk about our adventures and, and cooking wild fish and game. Uh, hey, this is Colin Gruen again. Uh, glad to be back on the show. And this is uh, Dustin Carroll, co-host. Been excited to talk to you guys about squirrels today. Yeah, we got Corey on the line too. Uh, not with us in person, but with us in spirit and voice. Yep, good to, good to be here today from Pennsylvania. Nice, and Corey's, uh, Corey's helped us out a lot growing uh, over the past few years, so really, really good team member. And really happy to have him on the podcast with us so we can talk about a lot today. So mainly focusing on cooking, hunting, and eating squirrels. So we recently had a trip up to the Everglades. If you listen to our most recent podcast episode um, before this one, uh, you'll realize that we were filming on location, talking with some great folks up there uh, on our first day of hunting then moving into our second day, sort of re-strategized what we were doing and decided to focus more on small game versus on deer, which we'll get into that a little later. But just kind of right out of the box, wanted to talk, as I said, about squirrels, but looking at sort of the history of squirrels in North America, which I was reading an article. So they say that the epicenter of squirrels worldwide may actually be North America, which I thought was pretty fascinating because usually you think of like Africa or Asia to be the epicenter of where population, animal populations come from. But they say that actually Africa was probably one of the last settled places for squirrels, which is which is pretty interesting. And I know here in Florida we have, out of the 285 species worldwide, we have about three main species. So we have the eastern gray squirrel, the fox squirrel, and then the flying squirrel. And um, Corey, what, what types of squirrels do you guys have up there? It's similar to Florida. We have the eastern gray squirrel, fox squirrel. We have a, a red squirrel. Some people call it a pine squirrel. And then I think there's two different types of flying squirrels in Pennsylvania. I don't know much about them because you can't hunt them. So 
Uh, I only know about the, the grays, the fox, and the red. Nice. And you guys have that the cool black squirrel up there, right? Everybody, when I posted the picture the other day on Instagram uh, from your your article with uh, getting kids into hunting, the most I think the most comments came from the black squirrel. People are like, what in the world is that? It's a black-faced gray squirrel, and uh, it has a genetic mutation that makes it black. So you'll find pockets of black squirrels. So if I'm when I'm out squirrel hunting, you know, I'll if I'll either not see any black squirrels at all, or I'll see several at one time because they're they're just little pockets of them, and they're just it seems to be that the there's becoming more prevalent now than when I was you know growing up. I, it was pretty rare to see a black squirrel, but I I usually see several each year. What's more rare for me is uh, fox squirrels. They they run more on uh, like the Allegheny River corridor, so I don't I don't hunt that very much. So I did see one this past season, but uh, didn't get a shot. I was reading today. They said that you generally won't find fox squirrels and gray squirrels in the same area. Like they tend to settle different different places. Do you see that? Well, it's it's interesting because um, in, in Colorado Springs, I, I it's the first time I've ever seen a black squirrel before. That was about seven years ago, and uh, there are pockets of them, as well as Manitou Springs, which is on the outskirts of Colorado Springs, and you'll see these little black squirrels jumping around. So it was pretty, it was pretty awesome to see them in, in nature. Yeah, they used to be hanging around the uh, uh, zoo that my mom worked at when I was growing up. Uh, there used to be like a little colony of them. I uh, always thought it was cool. I think melanistic is the scientific term for that. I, I, did, I didn't want to say it because I, I thought I would pronounce it wrong. I think that's it, right? Sounds about right. It sounds Yeah, it sounds good We're to me. Go with right. I trust <laughs> anything that is animal-related that comes out of Colin's mouth because his mom works at a zoo. Oh, I hope so. It's all just retained. <laughs> <laughs> we were driving along last week, and he's just like, oh, yeah, it's a so-and-so and so-and-so kind of bird. And we were like... Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> it could have been just a wild guess, but I mean, if you guys believe it, I guess uh, I'll just go with yeah. it. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll keep using it till someone, or I don't know, maybe no one will ever correct me. Yeah. If it is right, no one should. <laughs> but, um, so we were just talking about if you see different gray squirrel or red squirrel settling in different areas, or if you've ever come across them at the same time. Uh, we had them in Oklahoma too, gray squirrels and red squirrels, and I never saw them at the same place. So I kind of backed that up as I remember. But have you, have you guys any Corey? Have you experienced any different? Like I said, I only for the first time while squirrel hunting, I saw a fox squirrel this this year, and it it was with mostly, you know, it was in a gray squirrel area. But that was the only one I've ever seen out out hunting. So yeah, it, it kind of falls along those lines. In Colorado, we used to see um, kind of rock squirrels or ground squirrels. They would see the only time I've seen different types of squirrels together would be the ground squirrels or the gray squirrels. Also, we call them as tree squirrels. In Missouri, when I go hunting out there, only tree squirrels. Um, I thought we see. Yeah, I'd say pretty much. Completely saturated, central Pennsylvania. Uh, it's completely saturated with just gray squirrels. I don't think I've ever seen anything else. I mean, aside from the melanistic phase ones, but uh, nothing else. No pine squirrels, no fox squirrels. I mean, it's it's purely gray squirrels. And up up my way, the pine, red squirrels, pine squirrels, and gray squirrels. We'll see them together uh, quite a bit. The 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 uh, red squirrels like pine trees. Hence the name Pine Squirrel. But, uh, yeah, I, I try, try not to shoot them because they're, you know, quite a bit smaller, smaller than the gray squirrels. But then they just come out, they sit right in front of you and they just chatter at you. They bark at you. Almost uh, like they're asking so for What kind of weight are they? Like, are we talking like half pound or are they getting bigger? Half pound. Yeah, they're pretty small. At, um, when my daughter and I went hunting this past fall, we got a couple of grays and a red and, you know, skin them out. And yeah, that's why I don't shoot very often. They're quite a bit, half the size of a gray squirrel. So a lot of people, they, they kind of look, 
it's not, there's a stigma with hunting squirrels that, you know, it's just it's so small, it's a lot of work. You're doing all this and that for just such a small rodent. But when you think about how many people hunt doves or quail, you're talking ounces of meat per bird shot. When you're shooting squirrels, you're looking at a half of a pound up until some squirrels get as big as two pounds. So it's still a significant amount of meat to harvest. And it's delicious. Oh, yeah. 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 I, just had it, it was pretty I good. definitely think it's worth it. I mean, growing up as a kid, we used to go hunt squirrels quite a bit just because it was it was something pretty easy to do. You know, you could get like one adult, one or two adults or an older kid and kind of supervise uh, a couple other youth hunters. And you could go out and wander through the woods and safely harvest squirrels. And, you know, most of the places where these guys are populated – there's a, a good sustainable population where you can you have a good bag limit and still you know bring home five or six squirrels and have a good mess of food which which is always good and it's something not too challenging i've heard of other places uh they use dogs which i've never used squirrel dogs i guess the methodology behind it being that the they track the scent and sort of once they they get the squirrel, either run it up the tree or find the tree where the squirrel's at. They'll, like, try to jump kind of up on the tree, marking the tree and, and uh, barking. So it lets you know, oh, there's a squirrel in this tree. And then it's just kind of up to you as a hunter to, to track it down. But I've had no problems going out and just, like, walking through an area and look for squirrels. You know the best way to find a squirrel? Hunt deer. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely true. <laughs> I've ruined a lot of arrows shooting at squirrels while archery hunting for deer. <laughs> they do tend to bring out the frustration. They always sound like the biggest animal in the woods. You're like, oh my god, what is that coming up? Oh, it's just a squirrel. <laughs> An 11 pointer. Oh, no, it's a squirrel. <laughs> uh, and I think it's cool because you get a lot of, I mean, I guess, not cool, but Interesting, you get a lot of spillover into uh, urban areas with squirrel populations, and I guess that wasn't like a big thing until they started taking notice of like, oh, hey, we've got squirrel populations in cities in like the, the mid to late 1800s, and people were like, we should take care of them, and we should feed squirrels, and that kind of invited more squirrels to come into urban areas, and now it's like a marker of, I guess, ecological health within certain urban areas if you have a lot of trees and a lot of that do you have a high squirrel population i was involved when i was in college we did a whole uh it was part of the recovery after hurricane katrina in new orleans and we did a, a squirrel count and actually the professor we had it was a, a geography class and he used the data that we recorded to go publish a paper and say oh you know we've got this new subspecies of squirrel that came in, and also with that, it appears that squirrel populations are back on average to like pre-Hurricane Katrina uh, times, which is a good sign. That means the, in theory, the rest of the natural world is also returning at the same rate. So it's uh, I was reading. There's I guess a they do it every couple of years. It's called a squirrel census and they do it in Atlanta and they've started doing it in another couple and they do, they have volunteers go out and do squirrel counts and they track the population. I think on the opposite side though, in like the rural parts, I don't think, I mean, other than maybe fish and wildlife or like students from universities or anything like it's, it's hard to track an overall population unless you go get a small survey area and just kind of say, all right, generally we think in this many acres there's this many squirrels, so that should be reflective of, of the entirety of the population. Well, at the same time, I think it's also hard. It's not a concern. They're not a nuisance. You know, they're, they're Yes, they're tasty, and I, I love to hunt them, but they're also kind of fun to watch. People like squirrels. People like certain animals in the wild. Um, so when it comes to, if you see a bunny jumping around or a squirrel jumping out of a tree, you're not concerned. When you see an iguana or something else, you got an invasive species, we got to do something about it. So I think that, that the fact that they're not a concern might be a reason why there's not more nationwide uh, outcry to count them or, or find out what the populations are like. So in the, U in the UK, they, uh, they have an 
overabundance of gray squirrels. Like they count them there. Um, and the, I guess it's like the national, the equivalent to like the national level fish and wildlife service there, uh, does an annual culling of gray squirrels. And I was reading some articles and they're like, why aren't we cooking this meat? Why aren't we using it versus just these guys going out and just kind of throwing it away, which I don't know how I feel about that. If there's an opportunity for meat, there's an opportunity for meat, but they also have some different game laws there and selling wild squirrel is apparently a thing. Well, in a country with a, with a population of homeless or hungry, it's, it seems like an easy fix. If you, if you have too many animals and you have to put them down to keep the numbers under control, you can surely use that meat instead of throwing it away. Yeah, we might have some issues with it. Maybe some better quality. I probably we're, we're serving uh, non-tested, non-humanely you know, raised animals to our homeless population. What does it say about what if, you know, I could just see this going down a, a social discussion rabbit hole. Okay, fair. Fair enough. Here you go, homeless guy. Have some squirrel legs. Yeah, yeah. Which, I don't see anything wrong with it. Enjoy no, some I, yeah. squirrel legs. But uh, going back to you, Dustin, uh, I think if you asked my mom, she would definitely say that rabbits and squirrels are an invasive species in her garden. So, But uh, that's a different story. True. <laughs> in Pennsylvania, they're talking about extending the season for squirrels. Right now, it starts in the middle of October. They're thinking about starting it in mid-September because the... Uh, the electric companies say squirrels are the number one reason why they have issues uh, with uh, outages. Yeah, and everyone's seen the balls on power lines and things like that to keep them from traveling. But um, a lot of people don't know that squirrels, they are small game. They have a season. And with, with a season, there's even a bag limit. Um, I think a lot of people just see them as, if they do find them as an annoyance, they just want to go shoot them with an air rifle or a... 22. There's a lot of companies out there that, uh, I mean, just like raccoons and possums and other stuff as you translate over into like urban areas and I guess semi-rural, rural areas. <laughs> Make fun of the way rural. I say rural. <laughs> um, in those areas where you, the people like, that's a target for like the pest management companies to come out and be like, these pests are bad, they carry diseases and they're harmful and they do damage and I think there's some truth to it, but I think it's over-exaggerated in a way to make business off of it. And I think... When we talk about diseases, though, another good thing is most seasons for squirrels are in the fall and winter months when it's colder. A lot of those parasites don't, they they don't survive on the host. So it's it's a healthier time to harvest the animal in certain areas, especially at Colorado. Um, when, When you have some of those animals... They get these diseases, they die off in the winter. So the ones you do shoot, you have better likeliness of getting a cleaner meat. You have some bacteria, though, that'll survive it. Uh, you guys want to talk about the hunting in in the Everglades? Our one oh, squirrel. Yeah. So, so we talk about how to find them and listening and this and that. And Colin here, he just looks over and he's like, wait, hold, hold on, hold on. let's start from the beginning. Let's start from the beginning where it all started, where we got the bright idea to hunt for squirrel versus deer. So if you guys... Oh, and uh, Dinner Island? Yeah. Well, even before that, when we were talking with... Uh, Harry? Yeah, well, we were talking with Harry Pickering, uh, conservation leader of the Everglades Sportsman Conservation Club. And uh, he was saying that, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of deer harvest, not a whole lot of har- hog harvest going on in the Big Cypress Wildlife Management Area. Probably might want to entertain with that small game, especially in the northern parts of the unit. Uh, but he said, stay away from the fox squirrels. Can't shoot those. Uh, that's a big no-no. Sticks with the gray squirrels. Uh, but you should be able to tell the difference because fox squirrels are noticeably bigger. So we took that as, uh, pretty good advice. And then the next day, second day that we were up there, ended up going to, uh, Dinner Island Ranch. Pretty plentiful, bountiful wildlife management area from their harvest reports. And, uh, we saw, saw a couple of does bouncing around, saw a couple of hen turkeys, saw a hog sign, and then, uh, Ended up coming across two squirrels chasing each other around a tree trunk, which, uh... Palm tree. Very important. Yeah, so that, that was Excuse interesting. Me, palm because, tree, yeah. Yeah, usually you look for, like, what they eat. Look for oaks, something, something with nuts, or maybe even fruits. And these weren't even coconut palms. These were just... Or date palms, either. And they were right. just, just straight palms. But they have... They had nut. There was, like... It wasn't those specific ones, but another group of palms that we found had, like, the palm nuts, basically. Like those almond things. Yeah, yeah. that they're... P- 
probably using as a food source because when we were we walked through a couple of the oak stands and it was a mix of oak maybe like one or two oak trees and then a dozen or more pa- uh, palm trees but you, there was no there were no acorns there right. were no signs of of any kind of food so initially that was our i don't think it was our mistake but the way we were sort of guided was like hey go hit these big like heavy clusters of trees like yeah the the squirrels will be there but in truth too it's like oh they're also don't isolate as we learned don't isolate your vision to like just the oaks but venture out and be like oh yeah whatever tree and um I was really surprised when you saw those yeah. on the palms. You guys didn't believe me at first, but um, no, <laughs> there's, there's no safety, right? I like, was on my phone. <laughs> they want to be able to run around, and, and you have to have some kind of safety, yeah. multiple exit strategies. They, it's just one big twig that goes all the way up, yeah. And the only place to hide is in the palm fronds at the top, and that's where you saw the one's head poking out, right, yeah, in between yeah. the two uh, two palm stalks, yeah. the, the palm leaves. Great target of opportunity. Well, yeah. it was. I mean, it's interesting because a lot of those palms too, if you if you think about it, they're essentially like a big flower at the top. Yeah. If you were to picture it with petals, but the center is like a big bowl and it collects things and all that. I mean, perfect spot for a nest. Perfect spot for a nest and perfect spot to hide. So it makes out pretty well. Because if you're on the ground and you're standing looking straight up at the palm, like your chances of seeing a squirrel, if it's sitting in the middle of a palm tree, is pretty slim. Yeah. Which, unless you're dusting and you have like eagle eye. <laughs> Just hurt my neck for a little while looking up at those palm trees, trying to see another head poking out. So I think moving forward, our strategy has shifted with uh, the way that we hunt hunt squirrels in South Florida. Obviously, we're still going to stay away from that red fox squirrel, but looking at at the differences in habitat and sort of as the squirrels adapt to their own habitat and now live in palms, which are ever as abundant as oak trees in in Florida. Right. But also, too... there's, the size is a little different. They're smaller than your your most gray squirrels, and I wonder if that has to do with the availability of like quality food. Because usually, when you see smaller animals, it's either like a lack of good quality nutrients or a more challenging availability to those nutrients. And also, they they probably don't need as much fat to pack on because it's not really going to get that cold down here. Whereas yeah. you know up north, they're going to be active all winter, and uh, they're just going to pack on that fat. And get a little, a little chunkier. And uh, for a year, they don't really need that because they're pretty much always warm. What What was fun here versus when I hunt squirrels in Missouri? Uh, when I'm in Missouri, I usually either at the same time as I'm looking for deer, I'll, uh, I'll hit them with a 22. Or um, but when we're down here, it was like a spot and stop. We're just out looking for them. Corey, when you're hunting squirrels where you're at, are you a- actively on the move, or are you set up in one spot and just waiting for them to crawl around? Depends on time of year and like the the leaf cover and um if my kids are with me or not and what weapon i'm i have a four i use a 410 or a 22 and if it's early in the season early october and i have my daughter with me we'll quietly walk through the woods and uh you know a lot of times we're able to sneak up on them um when the trees are down, or when the leaves are down off the trees, everything's open. Just kind of have to sit and wait for them. So, I, I like stalking them better. It's more active. It's more fun. Yeah. Corey, what are you uh, usually looking for? Are you looking for that tail flick up in the branches, or are you just kind of looking for any kind of movement along the ground? Uh, how do you usually try and spot them? Yeah, just look. Yeah, just looking for movement on the on the ground most of the time, um, and try you know try to put a tree between me and the squirrel and slowly creep up to get within range. Okay. That's an advantage of those uh, northeast forests, for sure. You have multiple trees between the, the pocket that we found our one squirrel in. And there's, what, three palm trees, all kind of in a triangle. Yeah. Four palm trees, all kind of in a triangle, and that was it. And I mean, some of the others we're walking through, it's like, it's so thick in the bottom part of it if you you can't really you can see the outer edges so if you don't catch any movement initially you just kind of have to like stalk around you know something that may be half an acre uh, a little pocket or a hammock of both it's so much vegetation mm-hmm. and the leaves don't drop so it's also full of leaves as well um 
which makes it more challenging. But I still think doable. I mean, people definitely harvest it. Um, oh, and we have the only squirrel of Dinner Island reported. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I was looking at the harvest <laughs> numbers the harvest for this year. <laughs> there are no, no, because every time you go into the place we're hunting at, you have to check in and out of the hunter station if it's there. Everybody kind of records, like, they. it's a real good way for Fish and Wildlife to track what's being harvested off different so it gives you some good accurate harvest reports so you can target areas kind of like what we did with that spot but there were no squirrels listed for dinner island ranch which means one the booth wasn't manned when they were there two people are checking in they're like oh i got a couple squirrels and nobody really cares or three nobody's targeting it for squirrels and yeah. we just happen to be the only three guys out there trying to run around and find squirrels um which is cool but uh, we did get some good turkey scouting in. Yeah. Uh, Colin drew a permit for turkey, so we'll probably head back out there to that spot. So, going back to what you were talking about, Corey, um, what time of year does do the leaves typically drop up there in Pennsylvania? They really start to fall, like at the end of October, beginning of November, when things start to thin out. That's when I'm really hitting archery hunting because that's when the rut for deer is starting to come in. So I don't do a whole lot of Squirrel hunting that time of year. Just bring a couple extra arrows. <laughs> right. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Do you find... Well, it's, I guess if you're hunting... If you're hunting mainly deer in that time, it's a hard comparison to make is it is it easier to hunt squirrels through the early part of the year or as it gets later oh definitely earlier because they're still young and dumb ones that haven't been killed yet and you got your movements are concealed by the leaves and everything so it's definitely a lot easier earlier in the season the other part that's frustrating is that the best time to kill squirrels is the best time to hunt deer so i'm not saying you have to pick one or the other but I've wasted a lot of time waiting for the deer, and it's usually early morning or that late afternoon, 30 minutes before they start bringing all the food back to their nest before going to bed. And I'm like, all right, here, I hear it coming. Here it comes. I'm going to get that buck. And it's a little squirrel coming back. So there's been times I've fired arrows out of frustration, or I've, I've actually gone out and brought like a 1022 with me and been able to just plug a few squirrels and make some stew. Six pounds of squirrel meat is better than zero pounds of deer meat, right? <laughs> <laughs> And there's a lot of people out there that, that, I mean, they target squirrel. It sounds odd to say they may target squirrel over deer. I mean, they're diehard hunters, just like they're guys who only fish largemouth bass or guys that only fish catfish. Right. There's guys that only hunt squirrels or guys that only hunt deer. I mean, those those type of hunters do exist out there. Uh, I was reading an article about a guy that uh, got the equivalent of mad cow disease oh, from yeah. squirrels. Uh-oh. And I think it was in, it was in last year, 2018. It was at was that in New York. Yeah, up in like Rochester. I I think I think what they followed up on that, and it wasn't really caused by the squirrel. It, it wasn't caused by the squirrel. It was the the human equivalent, the Jakob. I don't know how Jakob Kruzfels or something yep, like that. That's yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but it, and it wasn't caused by the squirrel. It's just the original article said squirrel, you know, kind of related the two, but it, I don't think it really was the cause. Yeah, having an isolated kind of situation like that, it's definitely like the boy that cries wolf sort of scenario to where you're like, oh, hey, it's definitely like eating squirrels is going to give you this disease. Well, if you have one case of it, as complex as the biological world is, you can't say, like, oh, yeah, it's definitely this. Or it would be different if people were, you know, there's a group of squirrel hunters in Rochester that, like, all of a sudden start coming down with the same disease or, you know, all that. But to to put that, to be like, oh, yeah, this guy's cooking and eating it and he's the reason. But looking at 
the disease I was looking thinking about earlier, uh, tularemia. Oh, okay. Tularemia. Oh. Yeah, I've heard a little bit about it. So it's a bacterial disease uh, that comes, and you can actually get it like skin to skin. And this we can roll into talking sort of about like cleaning too, because I'm a big, I'm I'm very much on the fence, uh, using gloves when I clean animals. So I don't know. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on it? I mean, what are you worried about? I never the, wear gloves. You yeah. worried about the taste transferring over, or like some kind of no, just like percent? I mean, I don't wear them. Yeah. But I there are people that definitely like swear up and down, um, just because. Sometimes you don't realize some of the problems animals have until you're, like, already into it. I guess, like, signs would be, like, if you're looking for things inside the the cavity, the body cavity, and you're like, oh, wait, something's wrong with this animal. But I don't know. The, the theory behind wearing them, other than, like, hey, I don't want to get all bloody, kind of escapes me. But just looking at, like, the tularemia, because you get that in, like, rabbits, squirrels, like a lot of stuff, it's it's pretty common, and as a bacteria, it can transmit skin to skin. So if you have an open wound, like I do on my thumb, most all the time somewhere, um, you you can take that into your body at that point, and that like being the point of infection, you get like a sore, like all this, and you know most of those things are cured up, cleared up by antibiotics and other medications. But it's just something it makes me sort of think again of like. Maybe I should throw a pair of rubber gloves in the, you know, in the car or in my pocket just in case. But then again, you know, we've been doing it on and off for 33 years, and and knock on wood, I haven't, <laughs> haven't, haven't yeah. ran across it yet. But I don't know. It's always something in the back of my mind. Yeah, I mean, I've had no experience of that. Uh, I hope I don't ever have experience of that. I mean, that the skin diseases, the the. Uh, bacterial infections and everything i mean all those are kind of scary especially you know depending on like how well your immune system is to begin with too I mean, some people are more prone to being sick than others but also stuff like chickenosis you, know, you don't really have to worry about that with squirrels and rabbits and our vegetation eaters and everything like that but uh i mean it's definitely something that's always in the back of my mind eating anything that that eats meat too i think it's a good point to bring up um when when i started hunting First thing I dress, you know, I put, I put my, I got that kit, right? You got the butt out, you got the big, you know, well, the big el- elbow high gloves and, and this and that. And everyone's like, oh, you're afraid of getting messy? It's not that you're afraid of getting messy, but it might be something worth bringing up. You got cuts in your hand, you got concerns, yeah, you don't know it. enough about it. Just, you know, just like practicing safe sex when it comes to things. If it's your body, it's your choice. You got you to gotta stand up for yourself and be like, look, you know, either you're going to choose to wear gloves or not. Um, I haven't had any problems, any risks, any complications. Uh, I've been dressing all my deer barehanded, um, rabbit, squirrel, as as far as I can know. Sometimes I wear like actual gloves if it's cold enough out, just because of the friction and trying to grab something and pull. But other than that, I, I haven't had a problem. I'm not a fan of gloves, but uh, if there was something going around that that the wildlife you know commission is talking about, hey, beware of this or look out for that, yeah, I would have no problem throwing on some gloves. Yeah, if it all of a sudden came down that CWD was only uh, transfer yep. only yeah, transferable to, to humans like, oh. from skin to skin contact, yeah. then I think uh, a lot of hunters will start wearing gloves and they're yeah. cleaning their deer. I think that'll change a lot. You see, hopefully it never happens, but if it ever does, like you, you get a case of chronic wasting disease and a transmission to humans. Um, I don't know. It's going to change the game a lot. I think for hunting and not in a good way either, obviously, but. How do you how do you manage something you don't know how to cure? Or yeah. how, how it's you know really transmitted. Justin, what's the uh, temperature that tularemia gets killed at? Moist heat. <laughs> <laughs> Two hundred and fifty degrees for at least fifteen minutes, or dry heat, one hundred and sixty for an hour. So you'd have to. I don't know. That's pretty well cooked. Yeah. Like honestly, and uh, makes some good jerky. So is it just basically internal temperature of one sixty? Yeah, one sixty five. All right, should get it. So cleaning squirrels comes with hunting squirrels, and it's the step before eating squirrels, which is hits on everything we wanted to talk about. Core, do you have any tips and tricks for cleaning? This last couple of years, I I started using the method that Stephen Ranella shows on the Meat Eater Show, where you cut, um, 
right above the anus and then just kind of undress it. And that, that's the best way. Before that, I used to make a cut in like the middle of the back and then like pull, pull off like the shirts and shirt and pants type of thing. Mm-hmm. But you get hair all over the meat and that squirrel hair really likes to stick to the yes. meat. Yeah. It's really hard to get off of there. So using, using that Steven Ronella method, you, you cut right underneath the tail and you step on the tail and you like pull up on the legs and it just kind of peels it off. It's nice. It works pretty well. You can do, you can do it pretty quickly too. So have you ever seen those, uh, those contraptions that you hang on like a fence post or a tree or you got like little hooks that, you know, you use and you hook the legs on there and then you, you do it almost the same way. But I guess it's kind of reverse. Like you notch it around the feet, and then you pull. You put your. I'm trying to think of an easy way to describe like the device. Have you guys seen the devices? You no. know what they are. No. So it's like. No. Picture, like a piece of metal that's probably four inches wide and like four inches tall, and it's got uh, at the top of it, it's got two V notches that are probably spaced about three inches apart and you put the squirrel's back legs on those and then you I think essentially just grab the tail after you notch it where it's going to be and then grab the tail and sort of pull. I've never used one Um, I've seen I've looked at videos but I've never used one I was curious if it's one of those gimmicks or if it works. Sounds like the same thing. Contraption for the serious small game hunter maybe. (laughs) It sounds similar, right? So you can either step on the tail and grab the feet or you can put this contraption on the feet and pull the tail. But either way, you're isolating the feet from the tail and just pulling. Yeah. I don't know. I'd like to try to unwrap it, tell you that much. When I was uh, researching how to clean a squirrel in advance of last weekend's adventure... Uh, one of the methods I saw was burning the hair off first. Kind of what Corey w- and yeah, it kind of struck it. In. I was like, eh, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> kind of what Corey, what you're talking about with the hair getting everywhere. That was the reason behind it. That you can just remove all that hair they by leave burning the skin it. On, I'll leave the skin on, mm-hmm. and then you can peel it off. And oh, uh, yeah. which, uh, yeah, definitely seemed a little odd to me. Maybe. Put some smells that you don't want in there. Right. I think Might burning hair is up there in the list of pleasant smells. But, uh, I mean, if it helps get the hair off and the meat's still intact, then... You know, it seems like extra method. steps to me, though. Yeah, that's the biggest pain. When I, when I come to processing any game that I, I do, I'm always worried about that. And it seems like hair. Yeah. Or even deer hair. Like, just hair sticks so much harder. And you're washing it and washing it. And you're finally getting these tiny little hairs out. If you're conscious, self-conscious, you're going to cook this food for someone else and it's going to be covered in hair and they're not going to like it. Yeah, you want clean meat. Well, I yeah, think, too, in, in the, the tricky part with squirrels, like, the once it's got the hair on the meat, the more you wash it, it's like the more the hair stays to the meat. <laughs> it's like it gets bedded in kind of the the flesh, almost. It's like a glue. Yeah. But um, it's been a while, other than this trip since I've hunted squirrels, I remember hunting squirrels a lot as a kid, especially in high school and stuff. Like I said, it was really easy. Twenty twos always what we used mostly. Well, that's a good point to bring up. There's a lot of different ways to shoot a squirrel, uh, but let's say like I, I'm guilty. I shoot my bow at squirrels all the time, right? I I shoot them, but I've also hit my broadhead into a tree and not been able to get it out. You know, I've I've, I've gotten that cool. I got a squirrel now. My I just lost a broadhead, um, or I've tore through this thing and there's not much left. And you know, Corey was mentioning using a, a 410, and a lot of times bringing up your children that get to go hunt, you get one of those single shot 410s is a good choice. Yeah. Um, I prefer the 1022 because it's one tiny little bullet going in. Um, but I know some of these 410s so you get, get a good three shot. Well, there's some interesting safety factors too in, in comparing the two of them. If you look at a 410 and even really any shotgun, like your range is down, and that was like the other thing we were always raised with is that you have a 22 and like the velocity of a 22 shell like it can technically keep going and going like it's got a it can go a long distance very in an unsafe manner yeah so you have to, we were always taught like oh definitely you know know your target and what's beyond it right, yeah. um but just sort of thinking even more in detail to that like 
where where's the potential of this bullet to end up? And so just I think using a shotgun takes a lot out, but I also see there's an upside and a downside to both methods. Yeah, and you can also take them with stuff smaller too. I mean, I grew up in my uh, before the days of when I was actually hunting, and I was a much less responsible uh, hunter as that. I would take out squirrels and rabbits that were eating my mom's plants with my trusty Crosman 760 10-pump air rifle. Uh, <laughs> shooting the point one seven seven. I'm impressed, I'm impressed you know the, the full oh, details man, the of the beauty and the scope and everything. But uh, yeah, I would, I would take out the squirrels and the rabbits in my backyard. But uh, you know, I wish I would have known now about responsible hunting and you know, responsible you know, conservation and stuff like that, so that I could actually do something with them. I don't doubt my mom would have eaten them. My dad would have. No, my mom. Well, even at that, you know, a lot of people don't understand that there's varmint pellets that yeah. help out with this for the small game. And they're more effective at, at causing a faster death. I don't even know, like, at that time, though, was it... I mean, I don't think the whole air gun craze had sort of caught on yet. I and mean, it wasn't airsoft. It was a... No, no, not airsoft. Yeah. I mean, even, like, hunting with air rifles. Oh, okay. Is yeah. now... Uh, I don't remember when I I was growing up, like, any provision to be like, yeah, you can use an air rifle to shoot this, you can use an air rifle. Like, reading through the regulations in Florida, it's like, there's... There's provisions that say in certain circumstances you can use an air rifle. In some circumstances you can't. Yeah, like, I think it's pretty much the limits. Uh, like uh, the bottom limit is like a breech-loading 22 caliber air rifle. Yeah, is pretty much what you have to go with for a, a humane kill. Which is interesting, and in, is that you think public outreach to include that based on? What would the factor be like urbanization, like more people encroaching upon wilderness areas and wanting to hunt, but the game commission saying, hey, you have to do so in a safe manner? Right. I don't know. Corey, we run into a lot of perplexing issues down here. Florida's game laws are very interesting. While some are very straightforward, some are very different, and I see a lot of positivity in the conservation efforts and then that's questioning like is this is this too complex is this not and i think a prime example is the black bear they had black bear season they opened it once the population rebounded for like one year and they cut the season midway through because there was such a public outcry that they were allowing black bear to be hunted that they basically were like all right well the public not okay with this so we're going to stop and it was a big push by the uh, backcountry hunter and anglers the southeast chapter they just Florida just looked this year at a lot of the wildlife laws and had their annual conference and there was a huge proposition to include black bear hunting again and it kind of didn't take off once again but I don't know. There's a lot, just like this state and, and living in other states, too, you realize you think your state's unique, but a lot of states face the same problems, just kind of in different ways. You ever gotten a bear up there in PA? I, I've never bear hunted. Yeah. Um, so, no, but I've come across them uh, during archery season within archery range. Okay. Uh, but not during archery bear season. Pennsylvania's just expanded the bear hunting opportunities. We now have Early muzzleloader season, that's right. Archery right. season, and and rifle season, um, and now the and there's an early muzzleloader deer season as well. And I think things are starting to overlap. And I live in a pretty populate bear populated area. I think I might have to start buying a bear tag. Yeah. So that the off chance that I'm out hunting something else. If I do see one, I have the opportunity. Nice. Um, my friend got his bear this year. So was wasn't a very big bear, but it was his first bear. And uh, this year is one of the, I think, the biggest harvest years for Pennsylvania as far as bears go. Yeah, I remember reading that too. Was, uh, I think good. it's it's a good thing. I think the reemergence of black bears in a lot of areas is a good like conservation success story, which makes me like really happy. In Oklahoma, we all that we had sort of grown up in the bear population was what they called the nuisance bears, which I guess there was some deal with with Arkansas 
where if they were a nuisance bear in Arkansas, they would bring them over and they would collar, collar and tag them and release them in Oklahoma. And it, you know, it helped whether or not they were truly nuisance bears or that was just the rumor um, to sort of deter people from from harvesting or taking them or have any problem with them. But the the populations rebounded there. And now within the past, I think, five five or ten years, they've been started including black bear hunting. A limited number. It's still quota, but the their quota system there is, is really different. Uh, you call into like a number at the beginning of your hunt every day, and if it says you're closed, it's closed to bear hunting, we've met our quota, then that's it. Um, but and you are required to call and report your harvest as soon as it's you, as soon as possible. I think within like 24 hours. But yeah, it's good to see bear populations come back. But I'm curious to see if they're not properly managed in the instance, especially Florida, as populated as Florida is, is once they start encroaching. You know, and you run into problems like New Jersey. Uh, I think had some similar issues where they were and weren't allowing bear hunting. It was kind of back and forth, um, same thing, and, and I know they run into a lot of issues with bears there. Yeah, they just banned uh, bear hunting on public land, I believe, Okay. in New Jersey. Yeah, which is interesting, because I think that would be the place you would want people to to hunt them to help manage. If you're on private property, you're on private property. <laughs> Circling back around. Yeah, back we on took, track a, after took that, a little uh, detour there. Our little boondoggle. Um, do you, any tips and tricks for cleaning squirrels before we wrap that part up? Just, uh, I mean, they're pretty easy to skin out if they're fresh or, or, uh, if they've been in the freezer for a while and they start to thaw, that's a good time to, to skin any animal. Um, when I want to flesh out a hide that I'm going to tan, I'll throw it in the freezer for a while, pull it out. And once it starts to thaw, it's easier to, to kind of manipulate and, and cut. So you guys have obviously been over at different occasions and had food off the Traeger, which is super heavily used item in my household and we use it pretty much to do everything from baking desserts breads uh, and of course roasting different varieties of meats and one of my favorite things is the pellet variety and making good combinations of different varieties of wood which you can get in most local stores hardware stores you can get them online at Traeger for their their hardwood pellets and it has a cool uh, chart on there that tells you which type of wood pairs best with which type of meat. They've got wild game blends. They put out different signature blends throughout the year. They even have one that's specially created to go with turkey during Thanksgiving. All this stuff. So really impressed by the amount of detail and the amount of passion that, that Traeger as a company shows. But also equally impressed by just the product itself and, and the reliability and the functionality of, of that piece of equipment in my kitchen repertoire. Awesome. So let's talk about some, since we're on the topic of food, you know, we swing that way. So we went from hunting to cleaning and now righteously so we're going to move into cooking. Dustin, you want to take the lead and, and talk some about these pot stickers and our one squirrel wonder that we took last, last week? Absolutely. So I'll, uh, I try to make a recipe for you that applies uh, per squirrel. So the more squirrels you get, the more you'll want to up your uh, ingredients. But what this is is uh, a take on is your average pot stickers, right? Which pot stickers? They go by other names too, right? We have like uh, dumplings, pot stickers, sure. dumplings, gyoza for all you fancy folk. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, basically, it's just a, you can take a wonton wrapper and and, and wrap up it's like a dumpling and, and fry it. Or steam it. Or steam it. <laughs> um, so it is take a... I got here, and I'll, I'll put the picture online, but you got one, one squirrel, and you're going to boil it for an hour. And then once it's done boiling, you're going to fork off the meat, and you'll be surprised how much meat you can get off a squirrel if you haven't hunted squirrel before. Um, I also have a teaspoon of uh, garlic. I have a teaspoon... Excuse me, a tablespoon of garlic, a tablespoon of dill... Because it's one of my favorite dillweed. Dillweed. Yeah, you do like this one like that. I love dill. Dill and sage. Those are my two favorites. I have a half a tablespoon of sage, half a tablespoon of ginger, um, half a tablespoon of salt, and half of pepper. And then I have three uh, scallions just cut up, um, just for, for a little bit of spice that they're in there. Uh, with with your pot stickers, uh, a lot of times people use like a a cabbage. 
uh, mixed in with it. Shredded cabbage, yeah. Shredded cabbage. And uh, then I made two different sauces. So your standard like pork pox sticker is going to come, you're going to dip it in uh, soy sauce. But Colin gave us a, a pretty good idea about like how do we mix it to, to the environment, right? So you got these squirrels are out there eating nuts, berries, and whatnot. So we, did, we had them uh, here just recently. Sorry, Corey, we can't uh, mail them to you in time. But we got to taste test some. Uh, just here tonight, and I'm pretty impressed with it came out. We we definitely brainstormed the the idea coming back from the trip. Yeah, we probably spent an hour and a half just talking about ideas to how to cook these squirrels. Because the challenge was we we only had one squirrel. Yeah. Sadly <laughs> enough, uh, we our strategy I think on hunting the squirrel was probably played into the biggest factor of like once we figured it out, just like any case. But then we that we were racing against the clock. Because uh, we had to get back home because we all had to work the next day, but nonetheless, super impressed by the recipe. So awesome job on that! And with that, Corey, you want to tell us a little bit about a couple of your recipes that are up on the website too? Uh, well, my favorite is the Chipotle barbecue squirrel dip, and we I just made that for uh, New Year's, and it's super simple to make. Um, I uh, I braise my squirrels down to, and pick off the meat. And then uh, we had a hunt in, when was that, October. And we had we got six squirrels, and I just braised all six of them. And uh, I did a different recipe at that time, but then I, ha- I still had half of it left, half the meat left, um, and I vacuum-sealed and froze that. But then New Year's Eve, I, I thawed it out. And I, I mixed that with... You just posted it recently on Instagram, too. So, yeah, here is... Oh, yeah. I mean, just the description sounds amazing. That looks delicious. Yeah. And I would like some right now, please. Uh, <laughs> cream cheese, uh, chipotle peppers, uh, barbecue sauce, ranch dressing, cheddar cheese, brown sugar. Um, and my, one of my good friends has his own seasoning company called Tacticalories. Um, I use his... Uh, firing lime chipotle seasoning, and then I uh, put some fresh cilantro in there, and uh, it's heat. You just heat it up in the pan until everything melts together. It's it's good stuff. And the first time I made it, uh, I put way too many chipotle peppers in there, and it was way too spicy. So it you kind of depending. My wife doesn't like spicy stuff, so we only put one or two peppers in there. But then I'll scoop out a pot or a part of the pot for myself and I'll put more peppers in there I like for spicy but yeah that's yeah it sounds like a nice uh, southwest spin on the squirrel meat I've used some of the tactic calorie seasoning too um, I think he has what is it called carving house one of them he has yep yeah that's a really good one it's a good like all purpose if you're like roasting uh, any type of meat or like smoking it on the smoker or anything. It, I was really impressed with the way it turned out. So he's doing good stuff over there. I'm curious to see how, if you're talking about roasting it, how it would go with some red or green chili like from New Mexico or Arizona, that area, Colorado. You know what would probably be good is if you put, like Corey was talking about, braising it off versus boiling it. Mm-hmm. If you braised it, but if you threw some green chilies in there and let them braise with it, yeah. it, the meat would probably pick up the flavor too. You had some of my green chili before. You've had some of my green chili before. Yeah. That, that's pretty fuego. Dustin right gets there. like green chilies like shipped in from New Mexico. Only the best. Green yeah. So hot. I love it. <laughs> not, not to get too far off topic because we could talk about green chilies forever. Um, how about that noodle soup, Corey? Well, when when I was growing up, I love my dad, but he's not much of a cook. Um, and, of course, you know, a 12, 14-year-old likes to go out and shoot a bunch of stuff, so I would always go out squirrel hunting. And I'd, uh, I'd bring home all these squirrels, and my dad didn't know what to do with them. Uh, but my grandmother, who was a great wild game cook, but by the time I was old enough, she she wasn't she was too old to really do anything in the kitchen. But my aunt... And my aunt kind of took over that, and uh, she would make the like a like chicken noodle soup, but she would use the squirrels and rabbits that that I killed, uh, and I, I wanted to replicate that 
And there's not really a recipe that she ever went by. It was just kind of what she did. So I kind of put it on paper and came up with the, the swirl of noodle soup and put my little spin on it. And I'd still, I braised down the squirrel like I did do for the, the, uh, the dip. I, I braise it down or I put it in a crock pot until the meat falls off the bone. And then, I mean, it's just a, it's just a, like a chicken noodle soup. You get onion and celery and, and, uh, you know, I use chicken bouillon, but I started making my own wild game stock. So I, I use that now and it, it comes out pretty good. It's like a real comfort food. It is a comfort food. Chicken noodle soup fixes everything. Right. It sounds amazing. I think they wrote a book about that, Chicken Soup for the Soul. They wrote a few <laughs> books about that. Squirrel Soup for the Soul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I think it's great. It's one of those good comfort foods, and I think that's always one of some of my favorite recipes. Like, we swing definitely from the gourmet side to the comfort food side on, on the website, but finding just those things that make you happy. And I like hearing the stories behind it. I, I never knew that story, uh, Corey, so that. That's really awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, no problem. But one time, we'll, so we're nearing, nearing the end of time here uh, as the clock ticks down and just kind of want to go around the room. So see if we have any misfires or alibis or anything. Colin, last thought? Uh, just it was an interesting experience, you know, looking for squirrels and doing that small game hunt in the Everglades. The palm trees are the last place I would have expected them. Especially coming from the northeast, where we had you know, big oak trees and you know, birches and deciduous forest around, that uh, they would be crawling all over those. But to see them on palm trees is definitely something new, especially when they have their own oak trees down there as well. So it's interesting. I'd say that was a hot tip, I guess. Yeah, good lesson learned. Yeah, I think people who listen to this that hunt squirrels in Florida will benefit from our hot tip for the uh, small game hunter in South Florida. If you're <laughs> listening, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was interesting. You. I'm usually in the tree shooting down at the squirrels. Now I'm down on the ground shooting up at the squirrels in the yeah. tree. So it was, it was a change of pace for sure. Yeah. But I can't wait to uh, come back next time with uh, I have a pretty good Instapot recipe for some venison. Uh, Instapot's been pretty hot with the whole Christmas holiday season. Um, so I can't wait to share that with you. Corey, you got any, any last thoughts for us? Uh, the open invitation for you guys to come up here and in early October to go squirrel hunting. I'm down. Yeah, Long trip just for squirrels, but that's all right. I'm sure we could, we could. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I've uh, I haven't hunted in Pennsylvania, so that could be something, something fun too, and hang out and make some delicious wild game foods. I'm always up for a trip back to the homeland. Yeah, <laughs> the motherland. <laughs> um, likewise too. Uh, I would invite you down here to come hunt squirrel with us, but we, we're still in the, the figuring it out process. So uh, once we do, though, but there's plenty of other things we can get into in the fall and even early part of the year, despite it still being 80 degrees. We had a cold spell today. It's it's 65 outside now and everybody's in sweatpants. But uh, my last thought, um, small game hunting, not necessarily at the top of my list, but it's always fun to get out and hunt. Um, regardless and just hang out with with friends and and grow the sport and grow my knowledge and experience and and get the ability to to provide that nice clean uh natural harvested meat to my family so um glad you guys could be on tonight and uh as always give us a like on social media look at harvesting nature on all the various social media accounts and whichever podcast service you're listening to us on be sure to go and uh, hit that subscribe button and those uh, five stars over there if you think we're we're rocking it and doing good that tells us what we're doing good what we're doing bad and uh, feel free to leave some comments but until next time uh, I think this will be the Harvesting Nature Crew signing off there and the fish are where you think they are any one of these casts could be the bite it's the most exciting fishing that i know right here at hawks cave
Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king. But who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver. Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.